Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I am the other one, Neil Bow. And in anticipation of Alone in the Dark reboot, which is coming later this month, we figured we'd take a look back at the series' starting point with the original 1992's Alone in the Dark. From developer Infograms Entertainment, which is now known as Atari, Alone in the Dark is the granddaddy of fixed camera perspective survival horror and the player chooses as one of two protagonists that are investigating the mysterious death of the Dorsetto Mansion's owner. But upon their arrival, they become trapped in the mansion and must navigate its monster and puzzle-filled halls if they wish to uncover the mansion's many secrets and live to see the light of day. So it might come as a uh, shock to many that this week we're covering a game that neither one of us have played. Usually, Neil, (laughs) you know, if we bring something to the table, you've probably played it more often than not. Um, And so to be discussing a game this week that is, I would say, you know, a survival horror game that does not always get brought up as frequently, I think, as some of the other pillars of the genre does, you know, that being something like Resident Evil, Silent Hill. Um, But I think that in finally getting to sit down with this game and even in some interviews that I read with uh, horror game developers, you know, Alone in the Dark should be credited a lot more, uh, I think, in terms of discussing survival horror and, you know, just the horror genre in general and sort of how it's evolved over all of these years. Um, you know, I think for me, what I was really sort of excited by, but at the same time um, was intrigued by was this choosing to use the fixed camera perspectives, right? Because for me personally, obviously, as I said, never played this. I assumed that that was a decision that Resident Evil sort of went with and then everybody copied Resident Evil to a degree, which might be true. But, you know, even Shinji Mikami had said that you know, without Alone in the Dark's fixed camera influence, uh, Resi would have been a first-person shooter game. Mm. And the fact that, you know, something like Alone in the Dark could have that big of an influence on what would go on to be, you know, one of the uh, most beloved game series of all time with Resident Evil. And yet it just doesn't come up in that often of a conversation that I find when talking about horror games. No. And, and in general, games um, trying to evoke movies as well. I think you know, the reason we ever got this camera is just literally because of limitations and wanting to evoke certain filmic styles. And as a result, um, those two things married well to sort of create this happy accident, which as we know in the eighties, nineties sort of time, especially is where most things come from. It was like, yeah, we may, Oh, we were doing talking about this thing one day and we made this one decision and it changed the entire industry, no big deal sort of thing. Like that that happens all the time and um alone in the dark you know, playing it you have to kind of now look at it in that lens you know if like oh well remember that this was before all that you know everything that you may look at and go well you know i've seen it done better or i've seen this done better or whatever it's like yes you have because this is the template and mm-hmm. this is where it all sort of jumps off in different ways we've talked so often uh about 
certain games and how they are basically a launch points for other games to just take it in new directions and make more exciting versions of it and um yeah we t i think we've said this about frictional especially um where a couple of times they've really sort of made the mold for what other companies will end up doing and you know how you know what frictional did basically lends itself to resident evil again you know so yeah, resident evil has always kind of relied on other horror franchises over the years to get to the, a new level and to revitalize itself um though i suppose in fairness so resident evil had yeah, a little different helper around the middle point but um certainly at that later point it, it was very dependent on indie horror and you know the switch to first person which as we talked about quite ironically there you know, it could have been the deal in the first place <laughs> um but you know that's during the evolution of horror gaming in general before that horror gaming is very basic obviously because why wouldn't it be you know the technical limitations of 1992 christ yeah like uh <laughs> my exposure to computers in 1992 was very finite you know and um you know I, we didn't get one in our house for like five years uh but my uncle uh, and my cousin had one you know like that so you'd see games like that so it naturally just passed me by at the time but um if you look at that sort of early 90s to like the mid 90s evolution of different genres and it is ridiculous how quickly like the the game that is the trailblazer gets left behind by the games that really fucking nail it mm -hmm. um uh, unless you're lucky and you happen to be id yeah <laughs> and, right. uh, you may, and you do everything right but yeah there is so much to get into with this game i think that really shows that it does deserve to be on that same level you know even mm -hmm. if, even if it isn't like it's games where you can go back and say this still fucking holds up this still fucking rocks you know in every single department and you know the, the you know the, the, even with the caveat of this game is three decades old or something you can still say that um yes there those rough edges here but i think you can definitely appreciate in playing it in a, in a very museum-esque way you know, that you are playing a part of survival horror history yeah you know i was frankly kind of floored by how well this game has held up in that regard right we'll get into some of the rough edges later that um you know have persisted but that's because of the fact as you said it's 30 plus years old at this point um but right from the jump what i was really impressed with was the production value especially for 92 uh, the fact that you have two fully voice acted intros, but at the same time, like just the presentation as a whole, um, mm. the fact that, you know, when you boot the game up, you have those pages turning very slowly, very like Necronomicon-esque almost, uh, yeah. which, you know, really leans into the Cthulhu influence of this game and whatnot. And the fact that they had that Call of Cthulhu, I believe at that point it was a pen and paper game and they were using the license for that. Um, and just like capturing the essence of that, I thought was really great. But then at the same time, that initial opening cutscene, it feels very almost like LucasArts-esque. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like with the fact that mm. you have this sort of like um, this mysterious, but not, I think, dread-inducing music that's playing. You've got this car that's driving down this sort of like bayou trail. And then you've got this frog that kind of like hops and almost gets clipped by the car. And then you're presented with this huge mansion. And then, of course, you get the perspective from the attic of some monster that's staring down as the protagonist wanders in. And just the whole setup for this game, I thought, was a lot more, I suppose, clear cut. I find that sometimes when I go back and I try to play games from the early 90s, sometimes it's like, hey, we're just going to drop you in this world. Not a lot of context, not a lot of sort of world building. And with this, you know, you depending on which of the two characters that you decide to pick, which doesn't have a drastic outcome on any aspect of the game other than, you know, one's a private detective and one is the niece of, the person who committed suicide that owned um, Dorsetto Mansion. But at the same time, you get two people's point of views of where they're coming from with that opening intro. And then you get that really great voice acting, which um, it has some great sort of just personality right off the top. Uh, you don't really know a whole lot about them past the intro. And I don't think they necessarily get uh, a great deal of, you know, lines later on in the game. But like I was playing as the uh, private detective and he has one little line where he says, Luckily, devil worship makes me smile. So this was my idea of a paid vacation, which is such pulpy, chewy, 
sort of yeah. uh, you know noir esque, which is fitting, I think, for you know it being set in what was it the twenties or something along those lines. But it just it does such a great job, I think, of crafting that atmosphere before you get to the overtly supernatural, which doesn't necessarily take a long time. But I'm very appreciative of the fact that going into this world, I'm immediately interested in exploring further. My interest doesn't sort of begin as soon as the monsters show up. I'm already with what little is told about the world and the characters and their motivations. Um, it just it does a much better job, I think, of setting the stage than, again, some other games from that era. Um, and certainly this would be an example, I think, of, um, you know, survival horror specifically making more of a push to tell stories in those worlds rather than just presenting the player with scary things that maybe don't necessarily have a greater context than, oh, this is weird or this is meant to scare you, that type of thing. Yeah, I think uh, you have to give it credit there where there's some very interesting structures in building atmosphere. Um I mean, in the game structure itself, where it goes between two styles, effectively, one where it's a very straightforward route uh, early on to basically building out and branching into a slightly more flexible, you can go here or there sort of route. Um, it does mess with the atmosphere in a good way. You know, um, see, even in this sort of low-res form, you can still kind of capture that sort of Louisiana sort of swampy uh, gothic sort of atmosphere that's going on um, things that very much excite me about the uh, remake as well coming up is uh, just really embracing that side of it um, I remember years ago now at the beginning of my uh, talking about horror games career if you will uh, just talking about Resident Evil and you know, how its roots did come from like uh, you know, the typical sort of zombie story and you know, how that um, places like Louisiana are like a better fit for that because of the sort of cultural history the stuff that comes around there. Um, and so while this isn't like a traditional zombie story, it's the kind that makes sense when you think about the people they're talking about that influenced it, you know, these classical horror, horror directors such as Romero and Argento. So, you know, you know, I'm going to bring it up now. Uh, Fulci, <laughs> Fulci um, as well. Yeah, Fulci <laughs> is like so present in this um, as well in terms of like just the atmosphere, you know, I think as well. And his vibe has always been, you know, as much people go on about, you know, the gore. Um, there's a dread atmosphere that, that's always existed in those films where things are slightly unexplainable and bigger than the uh, confines of the story that's being told. Uh, especially when you think of the that um, the sort of films like The Beyond and uh, City of the Living Dead, they are films that really just dig into that horrible doom laden version of like the Living Dead and things beyond our power and compar and comprehension. And yeah, to have even a shred of that still now is quite impressive. I think for this game. Yeah, you know, I think that. I definitely agree with like being excited about that aspect of the remake and then seeing how they can explore that. As you know, we talked about previously, it seems as if the Bayou itself is actually going to come into the mansion at times and seeing how that influence plays out. But, you know, I was really impressed, I think, with the construction of the mansion in the original game based upon the fact that you get that gothic sort of feeling despite the limitations, right? And the mm. fact that that camera angle that is fixed for multiple perspectives is able to, you know, drudge up a lot of character, I think, in those environments and make what otherwise might just be a hallway with paintings on it. Um, utilizing that sort of specific angle on those specific locations does a great job at making the normal feel, you know, foreboding in a way that is very reminiscent of those film influences uh, that you mentioned and whatnot. And the fact that you're able to get a real sense of, I actually think, you know, the Cthulhu angle of this is quite strong, even if it might not be necessarily dealing specifically with like the madness that the player themselves might character might be, uh, you know, dealing with because of this predicament. But, you know, I thought that it was explained well enough. And it's also, as you said, culturally tied to the location of Louisiana, that the overall narrative and the mystery of the mansion and the previous occupants actually, you know, make sense. And at the same time, it makes way for this monster mashup, essentially, right? I think that that was something that 
initially I was kind of like, huh, what kind of monsters are we going to be fighting this? Because I personally don't know anything about Alone in the Dark other than the the prologue that we played for the uh, upcoming release. And so getting into it and initially being, you know, faced with what is essentially like a dog zombie or something along those lines that has an intro not unlike what we would see in Resident Evil later down the line. But it was nice to see a variety of monsters that maybe don't necessarily have different attack patterns, uh, so to speak. But at the same time, it was just nice to have this eclectic mix of horrors to the degree that whenever you go into a room, you never know what to expect, which again is something that is a little lost sometimes, I think, in horror games because sometimes Mm. developers will either not have a bestiary that's as expansive as maybe it should be, or at the same time, they show too much early on and you get used to that variety to the degree that you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to be that surprised because there's going to be either A, B, or C type of monsters. And in this, it you know, after a certain point, you get the gist of what you're going to be encountering. But for the first, I would say, you know, hour or 90 minutes, it's not a terribly long game. Um, it was it, it was thrilling in a way that I felt when playing the original Resident Evil, because, you know, at one point, you never know what you're going to encounter, whether it's a hallway, whether it's a bedroom, it doesn't matter the type, the part of the house that you're in. And at one point, even I went into a bathroom and I was like, oh, that what is that blob? And, and then this blob just starts to raise and then tentacles <laughs> are revealed. And I was like, oh, holy shit, what is this? To the degree that I stood there just in sort of wonderment to see what would actually happen <laughs> once it fully rised up. And then, of course, I naturally got hit by the enemy and took a chunk of my health away. But that sort of the unexpected quality, you know, again, I'm going to reference the episode we did last week with Herc for uh, our chat about Silent Hill in that, you know, the essence of Cthulhu should be the unknown. And I felt that at least in the early hour of this game, it did a good job of sort of capturing that. The game doesn't explain much about the origin of the monsters or why this is happening early on. So there's that air of mystery along those lines. But then at the same time, sort of the unknowingness of what you're about to face or what's going to come through that door or what's going to be in the next bathtub um, was certainly a quality of this that I think horror games in general could still learn from. Um, You know, not showing too much, making sure that, you know, you have somewhat of a reasoning for this. And if you don't have a reasoning for the variety of monsters, uh, make sure it's a world that supports that type of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, um, And I think another big asset it has is... Mm -hmm. Yeah, the variety of um, ways to approach the threats in the game is um, something, again, that Resident Evil and other survival horror games would later go on to borrow. The idea that you can't shoot your way out of every problem. And sometimes you do have to run or strategize uh, your way past things. When you think of what Resident Evil, say, did, like um, uh, getting past... uh, certain enemies was a case of like figuring out a puzzle to do it um and here this game has examples of that where you are you know you can't technically get get past them with fists or weapons or whatever and it's just a case of like solving a puzzle that kind of fits in the way uh the world works um one of those things again that's quite cool about this game is that they all seem to fit fairly well within the confines of the story and the place it's set um but yeah there's also instances where you know you, you have to run and sometimes you can fight and whatever and i like that variety because it means that you don't ever know exactly what your next situation is going to be it could be that you're going to get into a fight it could be and you can't plan quite as well as you want to um one of the interesting tidbits you know in sort of looking up stuff about the game was the the fact that like you know, these creatures have certain incidental music that will play uh when they show up but they made it so that it sometimes the music will play even if they weren't there just to sort of keep the player on edge you know that that's brilliant that is exactly what you should do because um it does just create this uncertainty and i think what you were talking about before and you know this the unknown and the essence of that that really feeds into it quite well you know, where you do just feel on edge when you hear like a change of music and knowing that fact as well it actually doesn't make it it doesn't rob the, you of any illusion at all because now it's like it could be coming or it couldn't be coming and i don't know what to react to like that it actually enhances it to know that information which is um quite impressive you know, I, i'm I was 
quite staggered by that as a sort of idea with the music because yeah you get glimpses of that i think in later survival horror games where you get like fake outs and things like that but never to the extent where it's an ongoing thing you know like that so i i think maybe a lesson hopefully the new game continues with and maybe we get to see a bit more for certain games in future yeah i'm so glad you brought up the soundtrack from uh composer felipe vici because you know having a track of music that is specific for each of the monsters is you know not only like a strategic cue to the player but at the same time it instills fear based on you know your last encounter probably with that type of yeah. monster and whatnot or it again it gives you this strategic cue of like okay now i have to utilize this strategy uh, or I need to make sure that I have at least one of these weapons in my inventory. So that way then, you know, it worked so le- well last time. Now I need to have it for this time. And at the same time, you know, having it be this sort of like first instance, probably of a jump scare, right? Mm. Uh, that use of music. Some people, again, you know, would view jump scares as cheap. But I think that the reason why it works so well in this is because it works in tandem with the fixed camera angle. Because very early on, yeah. you know, you're going to be exploring rooms And part of your view is, of course, going to be obscured, right? So there's a couple instances where you walk into a room and then you either interact with something or you just kind of explore. And then as you start to head towards the door, a monster will appear from the doorway and then will pursue you into the room itself. And every time that that track would play, you don't know whether you're getting jumped or whether it's just to kind of, again, have that jump scare moment, keep you on edge. And I found that to be incredibly effective all the way throughout the game um it really doesn't and especially when you're playing a game that you know uh at times one of the rough edges we'll talk about later after our break in some more detail is like combat or the overall game mechanics right that can make combat artificially difficult at the same time though enemies are tough even if you have you know a firearm or even if you have like a blade or something it takes a lot of hits and you cannot sort of time your attacks poorly because then of course you're just going to take damage which it's very easy to get killed in this game. So those that sort of like training the player along the way to ensure that they're always on edge is doing them actually a favor because it without saying, you know, hey, these monsters will hit you a couple of times and then you're dead. You know, the first instance of you dying in that regard kind of teaches you that. But then the music is what is keeping you in tune with that. I think all the way throughout the whatever four or five hours um, it takes to pl- complete this game and sort of uncover those mysteries. Um, but I guess we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to chat a little bit more about maybe the genre standards set by Alone in the Dark in addition to combat and the puzzles that are throughout the mansion. And then, you know, we'll get into a few of those rough edges that have uh, you know, popped up over the last 30 years. But more on that in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. And we are back from our break, and I wanted to talk about a few of the genre standards that were set with Alone in the Dark. Um, Most prominent, I would say, and probably most influential would be the limited inventory. Um, And, you know, the fact that you can carry a great deal of things in Alone in the Dark, but once you hit a certain limit, that's your limit, and you have to then place an object on the ground before being able to pick up other things. And that was, again, despite the game having these technical limitations for 92, I was surprised by that. The fact that you can place items on the ground, but then you can come back to them and they don't disappear or they're not lost forever, which, if anything, was one of those additions or features of gameplay that was probably overlooked a little bit moving forwards because, you know, that was one of those things where sometimes in Resident Evil games, even if you placed an item down and then you go into another room, I believe it's just gone, which then, you know, could screw you later on, um, which, you know, furthermore reinforces the importance of inventory management. Um, but that was one of those things for a game as old as Alone in the Dark um, to sort of set that standard was, you know, the core, I think, of most survival horror games moving forwards. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's essential to the characters and storytelling as well that you aren't armed to the teeth and don't have every asset uh, available at all times. Um, 
without it, Christ, can you imagine? You know, like <laughs> that. I, I mean, this is where you really get into it. Is you think of the games that got you into horror gaming? It's likely there's something from this very you know, system that birthed that. You know, when you think of any survival game, yeah, you know, the same thing applies. Like, yeah, you can have certain stuff, but you have like limited inventory until you upgrade and things like that. Just you know, an evolution of what we had then, you know, where you kind of build up what you are. Um, but here, you know, it's very much the raw kind of like, yeah, you have ever so much, and um, but and then you're not exactly like you know war veteran type characters. You are basically you know, fragile enough that, um, especially against things that are un- unspeakable and un- unexplainable. So I think having this limited inventory system and having it be, as you say, be that flexible where it's, um, yeah, I mean, at least I suppose Resident Evil did have the compromise of like you know, the item boxes and things like that. But still, it, it's a cool way of doing things and um, it makes the place feel a lot more immersive that you can just sort of drop an item and come back to it and uh, stuff like that and juggle things but go back to what i was saying about the combat situations and not knowing what you're going to be coming up against means that you know you are still very apprehensive about what you put down because it means you have to go back and get it if you need it in a certain situation which obviously could be frustrating uh, and you know, again that's something we will talk about in certain um structures of the game that are frustrating because of these systems but it's undoubtedly like the, the genesis of so much of what would work later on. Yeah, and I think that that funnels back into combat in the sense that, you know, there are solutions outside of direct confrontation or engaging in confrontations maybe in untraditional ways. The fact that when you go into your inventory, you have the option of, you know, placing something on the ground, equipping it, or you can just throw it, right? And mm. the fact that, you know, even something like that can be utilized in combat, but also in puzzle solving down the road, um, it speaks to what is a limited set, I suppose, of options, but a versatility to the utilization of them. Um, that yeah. again, when I'm thinking about games and not to say I'm like super well-versed in early, early, early nineties games, but those ideas feel much bigger, I suppose, than some of the other games that I had played from that era. Um, and if anything, you know, it seems to be that again, despite some of those limitations that this game might have, fundamentally speaking from a gameplay perspective um, that aspect of this idea of choice and the idea Mm. of flexibility of mechanics um, again is one of those things about alone in the dark that doesn't seem to get championed enough Um, and the fact that you know with some of the puzzles that you're going to encounter there aren't the sort of obvious clues that are out there and it's the ways in which you try to uh, experiment with items in your inventory like early on you come to a staircase where there's a gargoyle at either end of the staircase, and you, if you try to fight them, they basically just knock you on your ass repeatedly. You can't deal damage to them, and there are these statues there, and it's up to the player through experimentation to you know play around with the objects that they've gotten and see how they could use those to kind of progress through this. Granted, if you're like me, you probably had one or two times of just trying to fight through them and then realizing, oh yeah, these guys are invulnerable. <laughs> but again, like having a variety of enemies and some enemies that can only be defeated via puzzles again, is an aspect of presenting what might seem somewhat familiar in a way that is like, oh no, this is, there needs to be a little bit more thought that goes into this, which I think, if anything, you know, that early sequence really teaches the player that, you know, you should be fearful of every new enemy that you encounter. Because even if you memorize the attack patterns of some of them, or you realize, okay, some of these enemies are killable, some of them aren't, you have to roll the dice every time something new is presented, uh, which was very refreshing again. It wasn't just a matter of one enemy that has, you know, six different types of reskinnings going on for counting them as later enemies or something like that. It's just, no, you have a variety of enemies, a variety of abilities and a variety of ways to deal with them. And some of them, there's only one way to deal with them. And that variety again is something that I think allowed this four or five hour experience to retain the tension a lot longer than perhaps, you know, some other games that maybe are in that sort of, um, time frame for completing yeah and uh, i really do think that comes down to the fact that it is very pc orientated um 
whereas obviously Resident Evil is very console orientated and you the approach to both games you can tell that when you look at the nitty gritty of what they are um something that you, when you think of where like immersive sims started from you know, pc is the bedrock of that um resident evil despite its survival horror nature does owe more to the arcadey side of console gaming um because you have a little more power a bit more fight to it and you know um you only have to look at like clock tower as an instance uh, for instance as being like this sort of bridging the, the gap if you will between pc style gaming that then evolves into console style gaming as it goes on um and, you know even alone in the dark does that as uh, we get to later entries as well where it does spin off into console entries that feel quite different from what the original game did um so yeah, those tiny touches, when, when we talk about limitations, we're talking about limitations in terms of like PC gaming, which is like still at that point was like, you know, shooting for the moon, going out into deep space, you know, it, by comparison, you know, it is, you have a different set of limits and you can do so much more. And that's why we're seeing these like deeper details in Alone in the Dark that wouldn't be there in games that came out three, four years later on a console, because naturally that's um, the way it's going to go so yeah I, there is the interesting thing about this game i think um like with many uh genre greats if you will you know the, the ones that are masters tend to start on pc in most genres but probably like the platformer is like the console standard for instance the fighting game that sort of thing there because they are very much arcade leaning they are born from that arcade aesthetic whereas pc gaming is very much about systems and details and um seeing how much you can push the boundaries of what you have in your hand technology it's yeah it, you can tell yeah you know, one is designed to get more and more money out of you the other is basically um freeform jazz you know at that point and so yeah the, the, they're the two bedrocks and that's why you end up getting these two very distinct styles um and like we always see you know not everyone loves freeform jazz, but aspects of it um, do come out in other genres because the, the, people see the useful side of it. And um, something more mainstream can take something from a less desirable style of music and add it to their more popular poppy music. And it sounds fresh and new to the masses. And there's no problem with that. It's a good way to broaden the horizons, if you will. You know, without people realizing it and i think that's where console gaming worked so I mean, as you said at the beginning yeah you know, the, the whole story of resident evil being what it would have been if not for what alone in the dark did says a lot like that and um we've talked about frictional and there's a lot of stuff in there earlier games especially all the way up to now the bunker that kind of resonates with what alone in the dark did more than resident evil did yeah, because again, it comes from a very PC-centric um, mindset, you know, to begin with. No, absolutely. You know, I think that that is what really allows the original game to craft this identity of, you know, not only is it combat and puzzle focused, but I think it's what allows it to utilize that Cthulhu IP so well, even if, you know, I think eventually um, they actually end up losing the Cthulhu IP because they said, oh, this is too dissimilar from what people associate with the pen and paper game. But, you know, at the same time, I find that it is able to capture that sense of the unknown, but it's also able to, and it's probably because again, it's PC centric. So it's a little bit slower. It's a little bit more of a methodical sort of experience, if you will, that, you know, it's all about soaking up that atmosphere in a way yes. that only a game such as Alone in the Dark with its sort of, um, presentation and the attention to crafting a world that again we've said limitations so many times but if you sit down and play this game and look through it from a visual standpoint and from an exploratory standpoint i would say it still looks better and is more highly detailed than some games from that era or even a few years mm. removed from that um, because of the fact that each one of those environments doesn't feel like it is sort of this copy copy carbon paste of another environment it feels like it is another continuation of the house that has this Cthulhu presence, this influence in it. 
Um, and whether or not that is due to the environmental puzzles, whether it's due to the horrors that await within a given room, or just in general, the fact that you know a lot of the different sections of the house have a personality all to their own, thanks to that fixed camera perspective. Um, I think about one instance when you go into this long hallway that's filled with paintings, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, it's another long hallway. But then the way in which the camera shifts to then how that in, mm. that informs two projectile attacks that come out of the sort of the void, if you will, as soon as you enter the room and how that changes the way in which the player is traversing the environment, but also the ways in which they have a limited amount of um, ways in which they can respond to that with their own actions. Um, it just, it takes what is a very simple sort of, I suppose, a premise based on that sort of interaction, but it presents it in the most interesting way possible that, yeah. you know, nobody would think, why would that work on console? This is so unlike a majority of the experiences in this time period. And so you have to have these stepping stones from whether it's other consoles or whether it's just other genres and seeing the sort of ways in which that can come to fruition. Um, again, like seeing the lessons that were learned in just four years between Alone in the Dark and then the release of Resident Evil in 96, you know, seeing the ways in which, and if anything, it made me appreciate the original Resident Evil in new and profound ways that I hadn't previously. Granted, I, of course, always loved that game, but I was really impressed to see how they could use that Alone in the Dark influence, but still, again, it's something we talk about constantly, mm. that B-movie uh, aesthetic of Resident Evil that's so integral to it, but how they utilize that to make the influence of Alone in the Dark feel completely their own uh, in so many different ways. Yeah, you look at the cinematic influences of this game, and yeah, the fixed camera thing is so much a part of that, obviously. Um, for the most part, they are designed with that in mind. And, you know, the idea that the change of camera is indicating what is coming next. You know, it is feeding into cinematic knowledge that you have. You know, like uh, if you're a horror movie aficionado, you know certain camera angles without even thinking about it. Even if you're not like, uh, you know, a nerd about shot you know what camera this is filmed on and whatever that you call this shot or that shot you'll see certain shots and you'll be like oh yeah that absolutely we know what's coming now because you know, you, you know like if someone's fucking looking at a mirror a mirror cabinet and they do a certain thing you know that it, or you know the camera's panned out so you see enough of a, a hallway behind someone you get it you know what's coming something is happening in this scene and it adds to the tension like that is as familiar as any of those sort of musical stabs that you get that make you feel the unease, you have these moments with the camera where you are just like, oh shit, something's going to happen. What is it? What is it? Um, again, something that gets to, to evolve later on where you have these, uh, using that sort of fixed camera angle to make you a bit uneasy about what you can hear but cannot see, you know, which is not done as much, I think, in this game. I think here it is more done for the cinematic effect of, you know, t trying to frame something in a way that you would do in a movie of that ilk. Uh, whereas, like, you know, a Resident Evil would be more about, like, you know, generating it for scares in a certain way. Which is fine. I, I think that's, it's great that we got those sort of two approaches to it. Um, it's obviously the difference here is, as we've seen in many with many trends in many genres and many things over the years, it's like when someone does it initially um, because they want to evoke a certain thing, you know, it's going to be more genuine you know, naturally because um, you've started with that idea in mind. And, you know, with, you know, it's not to be critical of Resident Evil, but like you can tell the difference uh, from a game that wasn't designed with that in mind to begin with like that or, or long in development. Uh, you see it there and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can get that you're getting the idea of what they're doing, but it's not, you haven't quite nailed why, you know, Infograms had done what they did here. Um, yeah, even if it's not, you know, it's a very flawed method of delivering it because no one else has done it. So, yeah, obviously it's going to be flawed, but it works in a way that it feels more pure when it really does work perfectly. Yeah, you know, the thing that is sort of like the silver lining for me of finally getting to play the original Alone in the Dark, um, and it actually kind of illuminated for me why this 
franchise has been as up and down and never really you can't say you can't say illuminate or illumination when this uh, around this franchise by the way it's a, <laughs> you'll, you'll trigger people <laughs> well i suppose it revealed to me yeah, why yeah. um you know this series has never taken hold i suppose to the degree that it would be more frequent in the conversation of you know survival horror games and the sort of being one of those pillars that gets as much praise as Resi and Silent Hill. And that's mm. mostly because seemingly, and you know, I bought the pack of this game on uh, GOG games. So that it came yeah. with the first three games, played through the first one, played a little bit in both of two and three for the intro, just to see, you know, if there were any of these sort of major changes or anything like that. And through some research, you know, finding out that basically the whole team from Alone in the Dark won, uh, moved on to other things after this. And mm -hmm. both of the sequels don't lean into the Cthulhu or even the horror aspect as much. And it's the same framework, but both of those sequels that came out within, I don't know, let's say five years after the yeah. release of the original one, they focused a lot more on like the fantastical fantasy element, which ends up having the player fighting things like possessed pirates and possessed gangsters, which I was kind of just like, kind of incredulous at the idea that you had something like the original and you know even if they lose the cthulhu licensing and whatnot you can still stay true to this idea of like this is through and through a horror game it has monsters it has this variety of unexplainable things and, un and you know terrifying creatures and whatnot and to ditch that aspect which makes it as strong of an experience as it still remains all these years later i was kind of just incredulous at and the fact that you know later on you'd try to do one that was more in line with like traditional resi and then you'd have something in what was it 2008 when they did that hard reboot that then you know almost immediately failed um it's a shame that this franchise as strong as it started out you know is only just getting its first crack at you know coming back into the conversation in a meaningful way potentially you know 30 year plus years later yeah i mean the interesting thing about that early time is that you know they got three games out before resident evil was the thing so you had this instant problem was like uh, you're kind of worn out your welcome a little bit because those sequels don't do quite as well uh, in certain respects. And then Resident Evil comes along and changes everything just as video gaming as a whole has become, is, you know, has exploded in a new way. And, you know, Resident Evil is a console game and, you know, that changes everything. And you, by the time they catch up, it's 2001. And it's like, and with a new nightmare, you know, the first proper reboot of the whole series. And you know, that doesn't take really, you know, by that. And again, then we wait another seven years, but as you said, for the Alone in the Dark reboot, which I think the most distinctive thing about that is like, you're, you can look down at your pockets for your inventory. <laughs> that's it. That, that's um, to this day, that's all I remember about that game. And then uh, I think this is it. And the game just goes away for like large portions of time at a time when games were like getting sequels churned out by every year or two. Uh, especially, as, as you said, you know, three games in the first three years mm. of the, the series' existence. And then you don't get another one until 2015, and it's that abomination, illumination, you know, Alone in the Dark co op game in the light. <laughs> so then, yeah, that, it just like. The, the, the ghost of Atari as it is taking over that game was just terrible for it. And that was the last time we saw it until this year. Yeah, so again, another gap of nine years, um, which at least this time, um, you know, we've had a few delays so um, to get it right. Some, and so it didn't end up releasing back in the same time as Alan Wake 2, which would have been murder now if looking back at it. There and if there ever was one. Yeah, so yeah, they they've probably done the smart thing to come out now in March. Um, well, the, you could say that in a way, but you know, if the year had started off slow, you know, maybe being in January would have been nice. But yeah, the year has not started slow yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in general. So, but um, I I'm interested in it for, for so many reasons, and I think because there's some interesting echoes, you know, like the original game using. You know, an actual movie script writer back in the day this time having proper movie actors and also you know having a former frictional guy at the head of the story i mean yeah that, that interested me immediately because i was like 
uh, Hedberg being on bo- on board this was like, yes, okay, I I can see this being a really cool expansion of that story, uh, really leaning into that Louisiana Southern Gothic atmosphere, uh, the Doom Jazz soundtrack, you know, thing. That, okay, again, fuck it, I knew very little about Doom Jazz, but I realised it's basically what David Lynch has for his soundtracks. It's like, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> the stuff you want. <laughs> Makes sense. Perfect. Good. Um, yeah, so everything about that game is promising. And I, you know, obviously it's not going to do the same job the original did uh, because yeah, it can't. You know, like in the same way, people have bemoaned um, Silent Hill 2 remake for taking on aspects of you know, other franchises to sort of modernise. It's going to have to. But I think the pressure is obviously less on Alone in the Dark because we haven't had a truly good one um, since the turn of the fucking century, so it's like it's um it, it's ridiculous that we've had to wait as long as we have. Um, but that's may that may be good for it. Yeah, we may get a good surprise out of that for people that aren't really invested and interested in the same way. And like I said, having someone who's worked in frictional in writing terms, um, fills me with a confidence. I'm really hopeful. Pieces interactive just um knock out of the park and really just make something that is very akin to what we got here with this game where it isn't just about combat or it's about puzzling which they have shown and you know avoidance as much as anything um you know there's there's a big thing about there being a lot of detective work involved in this game as well and you know this time the two characters stories are very distinctly different as well so these are the things that make it a really compelling sort of reboot because you are taking all the things that were interesting about the original game and expanding on them in ways that technology uh, will allow, you know, that. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping with that lack of um, hype in the same way that you would get for like a new Silent Hill or Resident Evil, that it will get a fairer shake, you know, for, for what the game will do. Well, that's the thing, right? I think that in getting into perhaps some of the elements that have not aged as gracefully for the original Alone in the Dark, primarily that being combat, uh, but also even to the same degree we were talking about, you know, the inventory management being a staple of survival horror at the same time having to go into a menu to choose whether or not I want to fight or whether I want to be in open investigate mode or drop item mode type of thing was just like, oh my God, this is almost painful to a certain degree because (laughs) of how many times you have to go into the menu. But again, that's more of a limitation of the period. And then when you talk about combat and the fact that, you know, combat is this very sort of static thing, but, you know, you're planted firmly and then you have to time your swing just right. But when you're contending with an animation that at times moves kind of awkwardly against a 2D backdrop, 3D animation, 2D backdrop, it's the thing where it can be difficult to actually, you know, time that based on your location. And then at the same time, you deal with the uh, frequent issue that I had at least where you get caught in an animation loop of getting bit by an enemy um, and you're like in a corner. And then of course, with a, even as much fun as it is to throw haymakers and karate kicks at zombie dogs, it is the thing where you have to pull back basically on the limb that you're using, which you have to time just right. And when something's in your grill, you don't necessarily have that luxury all the time, which can make combat uh, artificially frustrating at times. So I think that, you know, from a modernization standpoint with the remake, combat is one of those things that I'm not saying it needs to be as frequent as it was in the original game, but combat is one of those aspects that I am looking forward to the most because of the fact that seeing how they can modernize it, but at the same time, and as I think they've you know made several strides to ensure, as you mentioned, with having movie actors, but also having somebody from Frictional at the helm of the writing, is creating a world that is much more investable in than just, you know, the mystery behind it all. I think mm. um, seeing the importance of the locale to the actual horrors themselves, the history of the Dorsetto mansion itself of, I believe the niece is once again, one of the playable characters yeah. seeing, you know, how her family history ties into it and whatnot. And then also seeing the sort of baggage perhaps that this private detective has and how that can influence, you know, their perception of events and whatnot. And if anything, I think that prologue that we played, Um, was a great example of showing the ways in which they're going to make the Dorsetto Mansion not just feel like Spencer Mansion. As I said, having the swamp of of Louisiana actually come into the house itself 
in these very supernatural ways that are almost unknowing because you'll go through an environment one time and then perhaps it'll be influenced by that supernatural, uh, you know, spell, if you will, uh, mm. playing out throughout environments. And as you said, the uh, detective aspect, I think, is something that could add a new layer to Alone in the Dark, but it's still playing by sort of the variables that maybe to some instance were there in the original where, yeah. you know, this is an environment that you want to soak up, an environment that consumes those that enter it. Um, just this time around, the player will have a bit more agency outside of, you know, running or fighting or puzzles um, yeah. in that regard. And, you know, again, coming back to like combat in the original game, not my favorite aspect, but when it is working and when you're able to time things perfectly, you know, I thought it was it was OK at best, I'll say. Um, yeah. The one aspect of that, though, that I was initially frustrated by, but then, you know, there was a uh, sort of safeguard almost in place to help with that was the fact that, you know, there's a lot of instant deaths in the original Alone in the Dark. Mm. The fact that, you know, you will come across environmental puzzles that the first time having no knowledge of them because they're hidden, you will instantly die, um, which I'm sure enraged plenty of players. But at the same time, <laughs> the save anywhere feature I think is kind of the saving grace of combat and those instant death uh, environmental pitfalls, if you will, because I'll tell you what, I didn't know that going into the game. I was under the impression, oh, it's going to have a save system a la something somewhat similar to Resident Evil. If that yeah. had been the case, brother, it would have been a slog to get through this game because of <laughs> yes. the trial and error of combat and death. But also, I think even just, you know, puzzles moving forwards, understanding you know, that there's not always going to be some sort of hint or a clue, but more it's logic based and just, oh, you've got two platforms. How could you deal with making sure that they both have weight on them, those types of things? Um, so being able to save anywhere and instantly reloading was, uh, I suppose, the saving grace of this game and perhaps why, even though combat was frustrating at times, it was not sort of the end all be all of the experience for me in a way that, again, some games that are from this era didn't have those same concessions, which made them a lot more laborious to kind of get through. Um, whereas this, it was kind of like eh, minor annoyances, but at the same time, I just reload and then I'm right back into the thick of things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it does help so much to have that aspect to it. But uh, I guess in terms of combat, I'm not, I suppose, I don't know. I, some of the criticisms that I've seen surrounding the remake in regards to combat the main thing that I saw on the scuttlebutt online, if you will, would be, oh, well, it's just, you know, it looks like they took the Resi 4 approach to combat and putting it in Alone in the Dark, which, you know, you might be able to say from a perspective aspect, but I would be willing to bet that combat is not going to be as much a focal point of the experience or the pacing of the experience, perhaps, no. as it would be in something more traditional to Resi. Um, and I think that, you know, more of an emphasis on exploring the detective aspect and also puzzles will hopefully outweigh that. I of course could be wrong, but that's my hope for alone in the dark and that combat is a factor that is perhaps more frequent than it was in the original game. But at the same time, it's not going to be the brunt of the experience. You know, no. I think with alone in the dark, they've had too long to dive back into this IP. They clearly have the talent and the backing to do it right. They have the opportunity to actually achieve where, plenty of uh you know other studios had failed but i just i don't know i'm giving them the benefit of the doubt maybe a little bit more that it will be an experience that kind of leans into what alone in the dark one did so well but it has some modern concessions but not to the degree that it just feels like resident evil and silent hill uh if you yeah. will yeah uh, i mean that's important i think this is where for me having someone involved at frictional in, before involved in the game makes sense because there was you know, taking stretching that back away the stuff that was combat focused and taking it back to the survival you know avoidance route you know that as we know um, got played out a bit as time went on by other companies but the essence of what made that great you know and what amnesia did as a series especially yeah amazing um so aspects of that in with combat yeah which as we've seen does work uh in a, in a frictional style game so uh, we can have that with this and uh, something that's more about exp exploration 
soaking up that atmosphere, you know, will be perfect for a game like this. And I hope so much that, you know, the mansion is a star in its own right. You know, I know you can also, I mean, there's going to be sections where you go outside the ground, into the grounds itself, you know, outside. And there are like going to be portals to otherworldly places as well, which again is very much an amnesia sort of thing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, I think it will do it the world of favours, I think, to have that backing and, and that style and understanding of what makes horror gaming interesting beyond the obvious in survival horror. Yeah, I think, again, you know, I keep coming back to it has a lot more potential than perhaps some reboots do. You know, there's been some yeah. reboots where it's like, yeah, we're going to bring back this IP, but then it just feels like a modernized version of Resi, but with this specific coat of paint on it, if you will. Hmm. And Alone in the Dark is one that, and has been further reinforced by playing the original game. Um, there's still a great deal that's special about that game that maybe has had the influence that it's shown in other games, but some elements maybe were lost a little bit or not as uh, front and center, I suppose, in those influences. But yeah. uh, we do not have much longer to wait. It's one of those things where typically, you know, we get amped for a game that's coming out, but it's not coming out for six months or nine months or something like that. <laughs> and now, you know, we only have a few weeks left to wait and we'll have our coverage the following month. Um, but there's still plenty of games for us to talk about this month. Some oh, contemporary, yeah. and as will be the case next week, uh, we'll be chatting about Resident Evil 5 for its 15th anniversary, uh, a game that I think I haven't revisited since I completed it when it came out. So that's going to be very exciting to dive back into um, and see not only how it's held up, but more importantly, um, going back and sort of, and as we typically do, uh, looking at how the series of Resi has evolved in that mm. time period from going from the more action-oriented nature of four to then, of course, an action-oriented nature of five, but having that co-op component to it. And then thinking about, you know, later games in the series and how even they were influenced by Resident Evil 5. Um, so that'll be a really great chat as they always are. Extra excited, I think, because it's a game that I don't remember loving as much as the other ones, but I've seen a great deal of people that I, whose opinions I respect, you know, talking about how it's aged a bit more gracefully perhaps than I would have assumed. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting one as well for me, I think, because um, it's a game I didn't care for at the time. And uh, I think in subsequent years, I think when we started this podcast, you know, and I went through all the old games and for our opening episode, and I, I found a fresh appreciation for it. And um, there's certainly a context you have to look at it in to appreciate it. But yeah, it, it, there is something to it that works um coming off the back of a z4 well i'm even more excited because as soon as we finish this recording i'm going to be diving right into that uh <laughs> for some prep but uh yeah man that's going to do it for our chat on alone in the dark and as always look forward to chatting horror with you on safe room yeah until the next time thank you for listening to another episode of safe room if you enjoy the show please rate us at itunes and follow us on twitter at safe room pod for show updates as always, our main episodes for Safe Room drop every Monday, but our bite-sized episodes of Horror Bites, our indie horror showcase, drop every Thursday. You can follow Horror Bites' Twitter account at HorrorBytes underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And finally, you can send emails to saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we have or are going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation 
Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories if you're brave enough. (laughs) 